Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see everyone here in person. If you're joining us online, if you are visiting with us this morning, I am Pastor Eric. I am the children's pastor, and I am so excited to have the opportunity and the privilege uh, to uh, preach this morning as we continue through our series uh, of uh, through First Corinthians. Uh, in the series called Untangled. And we are untangling the, the issues, the stresses, the mess that is happening in the Corinthian church. And I have to say, there, there's a phrase, something I always hear people say often. They say, you know, if we could just go back, if we could just be like the early church, things would be great. And I think to myself, and sometimes I say out loud, have you read First Corinthians? Uh, because what we see here is a church of people who have problems, and there's a tangled mess. But what we have also noticed as we've gone through this series is that, you know what? We are a church of people, and we have tangles. We have messes that we need to deal with. And so we've been exploring and looking um, at what Paul has to tell the Corinthian church. And uh, the first thing that we've unpacked in this, uh, in this book, in this letter so far, the first issue that the, the church in Corinth was faced with, was dealt with, was the issue of division. There was a division in the church. Now, if you have been a disciple of Jesus, if you have been in the church for any amount of time, you will know that where there are people, there is the potential for division. Where there are people, there's always the potential for division. And uh, my question to you is, have you ever experienced that division? Whether it was in the church or in your personal life in relationships. And I wanted to share a story with you the first time that I encountered and witnessed division within the church. That's right. I can remember the exact time, the exact moment. I was 16 years old, and I had an amazing opportunity before me. You see, in my church youth group, we had participated in a program. It was called Teens Involved, and it was a program that allowed teens to use, practice using their, their talents and their gifts to use them in the church to edify believers. And through that experience, I actually had the opportunity to preach when I was 15. Well, I also had a grandmother. And like any good grandmother, she was so proud of her grandson. Granted, I would probably be so embarrassed at what I said when I was 15. She was so proud. Well, what you need to know is my grandmother attended a church, the same church, for a number of years in her small town in upstate New York, and the pastor of this church was going to be absent, and there was no one to replace or, or to fill in on a Sunday. And so what did my grandmother say? I have a grandson who can preach. And the pastor said yes <laughs> to a 16-year-old coming and uh, helping lead the service. And, and, and let me tell you, I was excited. It was an exciting opportunity. And so my friends and my family, we got in a car, we got in the van, we drove out to my grandma's church that Sunday, and attendance doubled. We went from 8 to 16. It was amazing. <laughs> And it was exciting, and we were leading the service, and you know, my friends that uh, you know, led the worship, and 
the, the pastor had instructed me that every Sunday morning during the service, they had a time of prayer and praise. And, and again, it was a small church, and so it was, it was very normal, and, and it felt right to have a time every morning where people just share their requests and, and, and praises with one another. And so I step up to the pulpit, and we enter into this time, and I say, now it is time for uh, prayers and praises. And an elderly lady, mind you, the median age at this church was about 80, um, an elderly lady stands up and she, slowly, and she says, well, pray for our cookie sales this is uh, our biggest fundraiser of the year, and we are nowhere near ready for this fundraiser. And I thought for a split second, that sounds legitimate. You know, like they're, they got something big coming up, they need to pray for it. And two pews back, another lady stands up slowly, and she says, well, if Marge had done what Marge said she was going to do, we wouldn't be in this position my eyes get really big. And across the aisle, another person says, now you stop it. You know exactly who's to blame in this fall. And right before my 16-year-old eyes, a war with words breaks out in the church. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know how to deal with conflict with my own brothers. What do I do in this situation? And do you know what was going through my mind? Do you know what I was asking for in that moment? I said, Jesus, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom because I have no idea what to do in this circumstance. Well, I ask you, have you ever, probably not been at the pulpit at the age of 16, but have you ever found yourself in a circumstance of division, of difficulty, not knowing what to do, knowing that you needed the wisdom of God? Have you ever needed the wisdom of God? Let me tell you, that's a trick question. Because if you're saying, nope, guess what? You need it even more. But I think we can all safely say that we've been at, um, there have been moments in our lives, more often than not, where we need the wisdom of God. Well, similar to my story, we find the church in today's passage, the Corinthian church, in a place of division and in need of wisdom. Not just any wisdom, but the wisdom of God. And Paul is going to unpack today what the wisdom of God is. So we're going to ask that question. We're, say, we're wondering, what is the wisdom of God? What is this wisdom that leads to a, a, a peace and a unity within the body of Christ and within our lives? What is the wisdom of God? And Paul is going to answer that. And so we're going to look at that today. Before we go any further, will you join me? in a word of prayer. Father, we come together this morning thankful for the opportunity to hear you speak into our lives and to our hearts through your living word. And we ask right now that your spirit will be present. We ask that your Holy Spirit will guide us and teach us and show us what we are to do to live for you. Show us areas that we need to be encouraged in, areas that we need to be challenged in. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. 
Now, as we look into this passage of 2 Corinthians uh, 6 through 16, I need to start with a warning, all right? And, and the warning is this. Warning, this passage has been used in the past to manipulate believers and to promote a, a superior Christianity. This passage has been used and abused so many times in the past to, to deceive others, to uh, manipulate believers into following somebody, and it has also been used to teach a, a false superior Christianity, a superior Christian who has special wisdom. And, and I want to set that warning out there because if at any time you, you ever hear anyone saying, listen, you, 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 need to, you need to listen to the special wisdom that I have, or you need to understand that this passage has often been used to manipulate people, to deceive people, as well as adding to a superior Christianity. And so we need to enter this with that understanding and, and with that warning. So with that warning said, we can move on in, into verses uh, 6 through 9. And this is what Paul says. He starts out and he says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. We've got to stop right there. Okay, Two things came up that ought to, ought to ask, cause us to ask some questions. The first is, who is this mature? What is Paul talking about? Is, is Paul talking about like a different, uh, a different type of Christian, the, a mature and elevated Christian? And I remind you what we've been talking about. Paul, up to this point, has, has been teaching against the idea that there are different classes of Christians. And you'll note in uh, the first chapter that he says, hey, this is the problem. Some of you are like having divisions because you're promoting um, different individuals in the church and you're saying, hey, I'm of the clan of Apollos and I'm of Cephas and I'm of Christ. And, and there were these divisions. And Paul is saying there are no divisions within the church. So certainly we can understand and note that Paul is not talking about a different class of Christian when he talks about the mature, but rather the mature is referring to the person who has received the wisdom, and we're, we're going to talk about that more later, but the mature is the person who has received the message of the gospel. And so what Paul is saying is, I have imparted a message to all those who have received the gospel. And so the mature are the believers. As it's worded later in verse 9, it is, the mature, simply put, are those who love God. Now, in the Corinthian church, is everyone acting mature? Have you ever heard the phrase, act your age? I hear it a lot, all right? Maybe it's because I'm a children's pastor, but I hear that phrase often, act your age. And when someone says that, they're not saying, Eric, you know, did you know that you actually are, are now 13 years old? No, no. They're saying, Eric, you're acting like you're 13, but you aren't 13, so start acting like you're the beautiful age of 25. <clears throat> 35. Act your age. And so Paul is writing to all believers, and he's reminding them that you, you are mature. You have received this wisdom that we are about to talk about. So that's important. And then he says, we do impart wisdom. Now, up to this point in chapters 1 and the beginning of 2, the wisdom that Paul has been talking about is the wisdom of this world. And he actually has been saying, hey, I'm glad I didn't come to you in wisdom. I'm glad that I came to you preaching what, what others considered the folly and the foolishness of the cross. But now Paul is, change, is switching 
and he's saying, but I am talking to you now about a wisdom that I bring to you that is a wisdom not of the world that we've been talking about, a wisdom that leads to divisiveness and divisions, but rather the wisdom of God. And in talking about that, we learn some things about what this wisdom of God is. And the first thing we see is that the wisdom of God is hidden. The wisdom of God is hidden. So he says that we impart this wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, verse 7, but we impart a secret or a mystery and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. The, mis- the wisdom of God is hidden. So what is this? Is this a big game of Clue? Do we need to get out a decoder? Do we have to listen to someone who has special insights, who has been enlightened to impart this wisdom to us? What does he mean that this wisdom is hidden? Well, we have to understand what he means when he says it is a mystery. And, and by saying a mystery, what he's, he's saying is it is something that at one time has been um, un, um, sorry, not known. Okay, People did not know what it was, but it has been unveiled and revealed. All right? So Paul is saying here that the mystery is something that was unknown, but it has been made known and revealed. And this is a term that he uses often. And if you look at other letters that he's written, in Romans chapter 16, when he writes to the Romans, he talks about the mystery of God. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, he not only talks about it, but he defines it. And I want to turn there and look there real quick because he says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Right there, that is the mystery. That is what was unveiled. That was what was unveiled. It is what was unknown throughout human history until the point that God revealed it, the plan of God, that Christ came, that he was the savior for all of humanity, and that both Jew and Gentile, all people, could find salvation through the plan of God, through the work of Christ on the cross. So the the, the mystery is the gospel message. The wisdom is the mystery, which is the cross of Christ. Wisdom of God is the cross of Christ, and it is the appropriation of the gospel message into our lives. That is what Paul's talking about here when he says mystery. It's the cross of Christ, the gospel message that was once hidden, but now revealed. And we're going to talk more about how it has been revealed. But the the wisdom of God is hidden because it is a mystery. And while the wisdom of God is simple, it's hidden because it seems simple, but it is also profound. It's hidden because it seems simple, but it is so profound. In verse 9, he quotes from a few different verses of the Old Testament, but he takes from uh, Isaiah chapter 64, 3, and he says, but it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And so he's saying, the wisdom of God, no eye, no ear, no heart, no mind can imagine, no senses, 
There's no empirical evidence that will lead the human mind to understand the complete wisdom of God. And so Paul, Paul rules out all avenues of senses and leads us to conclude that the wisdom of God can't be found in man alone. The wisdom of God cannot be found through man alone. And this is significant because, because part of the issue was the Corinthians were so enamored and, and so attracted to the wisdom of the age, to the wisdom of the rulers and those who were in authority. And, and uh, Pastor Brian mentioned last week that there were so many scholars and philosophers who lived in Corinth and everyone was always seeking to, to listen to who had the best speech, who had the best rhetoric, who sounded the wisest, what was the newest plan. And, and the Corinthian church was enamored with this false wisdom that was temporary, and as verse 6 says, the wisdom of man, which is eventually doomed to pass away. And they were, they thought that the wisdom of God, the mystery of God, the cross of Christ, was too simple. They thought that the message of the gospel was good, yeah, it, it saved us, but that's all it's good for. The rest of life, I need something deeper. I need something more meaningful. They thought the gospel message was too simple. And Paul is saying, no, the wisdom of God is hidden because it is simple, but it also is profound. Those who say that the gospel is simple are both right and wrong. It is simple enough for a child to understand but is profound enough but it is profound enough that the most brilliant theologian cannot comprehend its depths and so at a first look the corinthians said this this wisdom of god it's it's simple and paul is saying you're overlooking it you're missing it and we're going to understand why they were missing it paul needs to redirect the corinthians back to the cross in a culture that was wealthy and prosperous and philosophical, sound familiar? There was a lot of false wisdoms around them that were tempting them, that were luring them away. Wisdoms that seemed to set a standard higher than the simple message of the gospel. And they were taking their eyes off of the cross. And Paul is saying, listen, Corinthian church, you guys are seeking this false wisdom and as a result, you are acting more Corinthian than you are Christian. You are listening to the wisdom of the world, and you're acting more Corinthian than you are Christian. So stop looking up to false wisdoms. Now, don't think that we're exempt from this. There is a whole lot of wisdom of man out there. In fact, we all live in an age of information overload. You could even say wisdom overload. Wherever you look, there is wisdom. Somebody is telling you this is the truth. This is what you need to believe, and you can't escape it. And it is all around us. And we're always searching, you know, for, for the, the, the best rhetoric, the best saying, the best piece of advice. We are constantly going. It's so easy today. Do you, where do we all go when we have a question? I think I heard through the masks, all right? We just go to YouTube. I'm, I'm a typical millennial. I have a question. I just, I don't even ask somebody. I just go right to YouTube, right? Because if I do ask them, they're going to say, go to YouTube, all right? That's what we all do. You know, a lot of us do that. But we go so many places to seek wisdom 
and we forget that the wisdom of God lies in the gospel and the cross of Christ. And as simple as that message was to save us, it is profound and, ha- and is so deep. And so he says, stop looking elsewhere to find wisdom. So the wisdom of God is hidden. So what does that mean? You're like, well, great. All right, it's, wis- it's hidden. So that was nice. Nice knowing your wisdom. I won't see you later. How do we get that? Well, he goes on to say in verse 10, and we learn that the wisdom of God is divinely disclosed. The wisdom of God is divinely disclosed to us. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit of God reveals the wisdom. And so he uses an analogy here to help understand why this is necessary and how this works. And he says, so just like in the mind of any person, the only person who can understand um, what is in their mind is that person themselves. Let's do a test. I think I can prove this, okay? You ready? What am I thinking right now? Go ahead, you can guess. You're all wise. I don't want to go there. (laughs) You don't know what I'm thinking. You can't know what I'm thinking. The only one who can know what I'm thinking is me, right? My mind, my spirit within me. And he says, so just like the person is the only one who knows what's in their mind, so too, to know the mind of God, it is only the spirit of God. And so to know the mind of God, you need the spirit of God to reveal that to you. This is so important to understand that to have the wisdom of God, it is, divinely, um, it is divinely given to us. It is divinely disclosed. To know what the plan and the purpose of God is, it's not through any words of man, but it is only through the disclosure of the Holy Spirit to people. And why is that? Because the wisdom is spiritual in nature. He says in verse 13, as uh, Veronica read in the, in the video that we, that we saw leading up to the sermon, she read this verse, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So why does it have to be divinely disclosed because this wisdom isn't just natural. As we talked about and as we saw, it's not simply empirical. It is spiritual and has to be disclosed through the Holy Spirit. This is why this is important because Paul is saying, so no one can come to you and no one can say, hey, I have got the monopoly on wisdom. Listen to my words, listen to my wisdom, and if you don't see it, and it doesn't make sense to you, it's okay, just keep following me because I have this special understanding. I've got the monopoly on, on wisdom. That can't be because the wisdom of God is divinely disclosed, meaning the Holy Spirit, he used the words of Paul to communicate the wisdom but it was the Holy Spirit who imparted it on the individual, on the believer. What does that mean? It means that you receive that wisdom from the Holy Spirit, not from people, which means that the church understands the wisdom of God collectively. If anyone ever says something and the church says, that doesn't really add up, but he's got the special wisdom, so let's go with it. You better stop. You're like, that never happens. Well, let me tell you, it happens. 
I was, I was at a church service, and there was a guest speaker, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Literally, I couldn't believe it. The, the, the man stepped up there, and he was a guest preacher that no one really knew, like a man, a friend of a friend of a friend kind of referred him, and he, he doesn't open the Word of God, but he just starts preaching about the tax-exempt nature of the church and why it's wrong. And for 45 minutes, he goes on and he literally says, but people don't understand this, but I understand this and you need to follow me. And we couldn't, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. But it was, remember that warning that we used of this passage? The use of someone saying, listen, I've got the monopoly on wisdom here. I have the understanding, just trust me. And Paul is saying, no. Because the Holy Spirit imparts that wisdom to you. And if the Holy Spirit imparts that wisdom to you, then it will connect for the church. And that's why it is so important to understand that divine wisdom is divinely disclosed. And so finally, we see that the wisdom of God is hidden, it's divinely disclosed, and he goes on to say that the wisdom of God is discerning. So once that wisdom of God has been disclosed to you, it results in a life of discernment. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You say, listen, the person who, who does not follow Jesus, the person who has not received the message of the cross is never going to be able to understand this wisdom because it's spiritual, and, and they are not spiritual. It won't make sense. So don't be surprised when people turn their head and look at you and say, well, that sounds pretty foolish. Don't be surprised when people don't understand the message of the cross of Christ and when they don't understand the message lived out in our lives. It's to be expected. But this is where it gets crazy. I had to read this a couple times. I'm like, no, I didn't. Did it really say that? The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. I know some of you are like, yes, I get to judge everybody and they can't judge me. What I've always wanted, right? I know you're thinking that, but what is he talking about here? This is supernatural, and this is amazing, but we need to understand. He is saying, so because the Holy Spirit imparted the wisdom of God to you, you now have the ability to discern all things. He's not saying you know all things. Some of you wish you could believe that. Okay, you don't know all things, but you have the ability to discern all things in all areas of your life because you now have the message and you have the lens of the cross of Christ and you can now evaluate every circumstance, whether you're sitting here at church, whether you're sitting at home, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, you're with your friends, it's Thanksgiving dinner, everything that's crazy and happening, you have the advantage of looking through it through the lens of the cross of Christ and evaluating it. And you have the wisdom of God in your life. And you are able to discern all things. And the natural man will never be able to judge you because they don't understand that. And so the wisdom of God leads us to discernment. And then he ends with this. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. This is one of those, one of those phrases where you're like, what's that all about, Paul? Like you, you, you had this really good flow of thought and then, but we had the mind of Christ. And he's saying, so the wisdom of God, 
when you have it, leads to the mind of Christ. Why is this significant? Where does this sound from? You're like, this sounds familiar. I've heard it before. You have. Back in chapter 1, verse 10, and he says, when he starts talking about the problem and the division in the church, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Same mind, judgment. The mind of Christ, discernment. Paul is saying, how do you deal with divisions within the church and within life? You need the wisdom of God, which brings discernment and the mind of Christ into our lives. So what does this look like? What does this actually look like? It's still so vague, right? It's very nebulous. And, and I wanted to share a, an experience that, that I um, had, not to say, I got the wisdom of, wisdom of God, because we all know I shouldn't be saying that, right? But rather to, to show what it looks like in a church and in an individual life. And, and what happened was about 14 years ago, I was in, when I was in college, I was at Moody, and every student at Moody had to take part in what was called a PCM, which was a practical Christian ministry. All right? Pastor Nick, he knows what, he knows what I'm talking about. And uh, during that quarter of school, during, throughout the year, you had to be involved serving in a church ministry or a nonprofit ministry. Now, the school picked what your ministry was for the first two years, but you got to pick what it was the last two years. And so it had been selected and preordained for me that I would serve in an Awana club at a very small church in a suburb of Chicago. And so I did this for a year, and, and, it was, and, I, and I enjoyed it. And I began to grow and love not only the, the, the Iwana kids, but the church. And as I attended there, I realized that these people had a love for the children, that they would know Christ in the city, and, and that they also had a love for one another. And I saw how this church family would meet the needs of each other, even though they didn't have a lot. But then came the, the spring quarter, and it was wrapping up, and it was time to choose our next ministry. And this was like all the talk on campus. Everyone's going back, hey, what are you doing? Hey, what are you going to do? I got this awesome gig. And the conventional wisdom for Bible students and pastoral students was get a gig, get a ministry at a big church, get a ministry at a successful church, get a ministry at a church plant because you want it to lead to an eventual internship or a job and you want it to look really good on the resume. And so all my friends are like, oh man, I got this awesome internship at Willow Creek and I'm so excited. Or man, you should check out this this church is a church plant. I don't even have to wear a tie on Sundays. It's awesome, right? And so we're going back and forth comparing notes. Then the conventional wisdom was find a, a big, thriving, healthy church that you can take part of, and then it will look good on your resume or you might have a job when you're done with school. And so I'm going through and I'm like listening. I'm like, oh man, that does sound really cool. And I'm, but I was conflicted because at the same time, the small church that I was serving at was going through division. And the pastor of the church was leaving. And I didn't know everything, but I knew that there was division, there was conflict, and there was hurt in the church. And I'm weighing it back and forth, and I'm calling my, my youth leaders, and my, I'm talking with my father, and I'm saying, what do I do? Where do I go? I don't know. And, and, and I'm praying about it. And, and eventually, someone helped me understand, like, listen, has the church changed theologically? I'm like, no. Has the church changed philosophically? No. So the circumstances in the church has changed. Yeah. 
well, that's the only church where circumstances will change. <laughs> that is not true. And I realized at that point that I, just, I needed to stay there. Maybe it wasn't going to look real good on my resume. It was not going to lead to a job later down the road. But I felt that I needed to stay there. And I went home that summer and I came back only to be amazed at what happened or what was happening. And the church together decided that they were going to confront the division and they took months to go through um, a, a time of reflection in dealing with the conflict that was within the congregation. And they said, we are going to talk about these issues that we are struggling with, with one another. We are going to deal with it. And they were seeking the wisdom of God. And I got to get a picture and an inside look on what happens when a church seeks the wisdom of God during a time of division. And what happened for me as well, I, couldn't, I, I had no idea, but the opportunities that the Lord provided me. I was able to lead an Awana program. I was able to start a youth ministry, and I also learned how not to start a youth ministry. And I was able to teach a Sunday school class, and I was able to preach on a few Sunday mornings, something that I would never have been able to do in any of the other circumstances. And in hindsight, I look back at that, though, and I see how when people seek the wisdom of God, he is able to unite them and bring them back together so that they can minister and, and serve and be used for his purposes. And it was beautiful, but it was the last thing that I wanted to do. It was not the appealing thing that I wanted to do, but the wisdom of God can heal and bring us bring the church into a place of unity. So what do we do? What do we do with this, with the wisdom of God? And here is my application to you. It is pray for the wisdom of God. I'm going to be real honest. As a pastor, when I preach, I don't like that application. I'm like, it's just, it's, it's, it's weak sauce, right? People are thinking, good job, Eric. You didn't prep, prepare an application, so just pray about it, <laughs> right? But I don't say this tritely. As a church right now, we are in a time, we are living in an era where the divisions are all around us. We are inundated with it, whether it's at the church, whether it's in our home, with our families, with our friends, at work. You can't escape the potential of division. Everything is a possibility for, the, for division. The colors that were picked for this wall, potential for division. The, the chairs you're sitting in could have been a potential for division. The masks that you wear, potential for division. The news that you listen to, potential for division. It is rampant and it is everywhere, and that is why we need the wisdom of God, but people, you cannot... Fine. We cannot find the wisdom of God in the, in the world. It only comes through divine disclosure, through the Holy Spirit, which means we have to pray for it. We have to pray. I wish I had my phone because what I would do right now is i say, hey, Siri, set an alarm for 9 p.m. every day to pray for the wisdom of God. It's that simple of how you can take the first step to pray. But this is what you need to do. Pray for the wisdom of God and stop praying that the person who's sitting next to you will understand your wisdom. Stop praying that the person who's not here will understand your wisdom. Stop hoping and wishing that you'll stumble into the wisdom of God and start praying that God will reveal his wisdom to you and to our church family. And when that happens, unity happens in his church, in his family. And his purpose 
can be made known, and he is glorified. Pray for the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and we are so thankful that the wisdom that you offer is not a wisdom that is, that is bound to die. It is not a wisdom that is going to dry up. It is the wisdom from your living word. It is the wisdom from you that gives life and brings your children together. Right now, Father, we all fall to our knees, admitting, recognizing that we need your wisdom. Give us the strength to seek that wisdom from you, to stop looking outside, but to look to you through your word, that you would disclose that wisdom so that we can continue to live in unity in your body with one another. In Christ's name.